Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're talking about practice and preparation and how Formula One can both make the case for it, why it's needed, but also can make a case why sometimes it's just better to go ahead and jump in without it. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons Podcast. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello everybody and welcome back to what is the final episode of season six of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast with me, Mark Priestley. I want to say a huge thank you, as I always do, for joining me for this particular hour. Thank you wherever you are in the world, whatever it is you're up to, however it is you're listening, whoever it is you're listening with, I appreciate every single one of you but also because it's the final episode. Episode 60, can't believe we've got that far through it, but episode 60, and that means I want to say a big thank you to anyone who's taken part, listened, contributed to, given feedback on, in any way, integrated themselves with this community that is the community behind the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Thank you to every single one of you. This week, um, I want to talk about, as I said in the intro there, this idea of practice and preparation. And the reason that topic has come up for me is because you may well have seen this week in the news, there was a lot of talk around one particular story, which actually centered, as far as I can tell, around one particular quote from the CEO of Formula One, Stefano Dominicali, when he talked about, in an interview this week, about his desire or his acceptance of this idea to get rid of the Friday practice sessions in a Formula One Grand Prix weekend. Now, it caused all sorts of controversy from all manner of different areas of this sport. Everybody had an opinion on it. Everybody thought it was a good idea or a terrible idea, depending where you came from. I want to talk about that aspect of it a little bit later. But it sparked a conversation in my world this week around the idea of practice and preparation. And I popped an Insta- uh, uh, sorry, a, a post on my LinkedIn earlier this week, actually unrelated to this. I put it up just before uh, this quote came out from Stefano and the sort of story were bu- stories were building around it. But my quote that I put on LinkedIn was actually around the speaking work that I do. And it was about this idea that in the beginning, when I first started on the public speaking circuit, I was terrified. It's a terrifying experience. I used to shake like a leaf before I went on stage. I actually felt like running away because I felt like I wasn't prepared when I was standing backstage and somebody was out front on stage just about to read my introduction and call me out. And I'd be terrified. It got to the point where the fear kicked in so much that I was convinced in myself that I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready to be able to go and do what these people were paying me a considerable amount of money to go and do, to stand on stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people to spread my message, the message of Formula One, the life lessons or the lessons in business that come from the Formula One paddock that I've learned over the years that I want to share with other people. But when I first started doing this, it was such a terrifying prospect I got backstage as that moment unfurled and unfolded itself and I was 
being ready to get on stage in front of those people, convincing myself I was underprepared, that I wasn't ready, that I hadn't done enough practice or preparation. So I put this post up around that and I'll perhaps come back to that a bit later on. But then in the comment section, in the discussion that came around that and in a conversation that I had in the real world off the back of it, then came into the conversation this quote from Stefano in which he said something along the lines of he was open to the idea of Formula One losing the Friday practice sessions from the event timetable over a Grand Prix weekend. Now, if we focus on that side of things for a moment, the reason that was controversial is because lots of people have an opinion and they all look at it from different perspectives. If you are a fan, you're thinking, well, there's some, there's an, a day less of track time. If you're a hardcore fan, there's a day less of something to watch. There's a day less stories and a day less of coverage that you can consume if you're a real hardcore Formula One fan. If you're a promoter of these races, the people that pay a lot of money to have the rights to promote this, the events, they're thinking, well, that's a day less on the calendar. So that's a day less that I can sell tickets for. And therefore, my potential revenue stream is going to be reduced. With a two-day event rather than a three-day event, I have less potential to recoup the money that I'm spending on acquiring the rights to promote the event. So that's another perspective. If you're a Formula One team, there's a couple of perspectives. On one hand, you could say, well, it's going to cost us less money. We can be in those locations for less time. Every lap a car does around a race, tr race circuit costs thousands of pounds just in fuel, tyres, just keeping the thing going. Plus, of course, all the people you have to get there, the hotel bills of the extra day. So many aspects of that cost money. So if you reduce the event from three days to two, there's a potential considerable saving for the teams. But on the flip side of that, if you're in the engineering side of these Formula One teams, you're looking at, and you can't really look past the fact that that Friday practice sessions, the two sessions on a Friday, are where all of your practice and preparation, all of the learning is done by putting your car on a real world racetrack in the real world, something that's highly limited in today's F1. And for the most part, with Formula One teams being highly engineering based, much of the focus is around the technical, the engineering side, that's often one of the biggest and loudest arguments from within a Formula One team for not losing those practice sessions. Because what it means is you turn up to an event and you have absolutely no time at all to get yourself ready for when the, the sessions really matter, qualifying. And so from a team perspective, and believe me, I've been there, I felt this myself, I know how it feels, you can get to qualifying if you've managed to miss Friday for some technical reason or if weather has ruined a Friday practice sessions, you can get to qualifying feeling hugely underprepared. A little bit like that feeling that I had when I was backstage waiting to go on for my big moment in front of the world, putting myself out there, I felt underprepared. Felt like I hadn't had enough preparation and practice time. And a Formula One team can and will feel exactly that sensation if we lose Fridays and they're asked to go straight into a qualifying session with just an hour long session, for example, on a Saturday morning. The engineering team want as much time to prepare, to develop, to learn, to fine tune, to get the setup right, to test components that they might have been developing back at base. And this might be the first opportunity to get them onto the real car on a racetrack and see how they fare. Those things are hugely valuable to the engineering side of a Formula One team. 
So there's lots of perspectives looking at how this decision or this quote, it's not even a decision, that's the, the sort of almost comical thing about it. This is one quote from Stefano Domenicali, which has generated a whole bunch of stories around it. But the conversation is in general con- condensed, is about losing this Friday session. Now, the reason that I want to bring this up and the reason I'm linking this to the conversations I had this week was the whole concept around practice and preparation is quite an interesting one. Of course, Formula One is almost famed for its practice and preparation. If you think about things like pit stops, for example, in today's Formula One, the teams are practicing thousands and thousands of practice pit stops in advance of doing the real thing, which they may do once, twice, two, three or four times max on most Grand Prix weekends. For those three or four pit stops they do in the Grand Prix, thousands and thousands of practice pit stops have been done in the build-up to that race. It's all about being prepared and being ready. So when that high-pressure moment hits, when you're doing it in front of the world, in front of the cameras, you're as prepared as you can be. It's the same with Formula One cars. When you're working away back at the base and you are developing components or even a new car, think back a few years, it wasn't unheard of, in fact it wasn't even that unusual, to bring an entirely new car to a Grand Prix midway through the season. Because your first one that you launched with wasn't good enough, you found some inadequacies, so in the background you're just working away flat out all the hours that you have available to develop a brand new car that you're going to introduce at some way through the season. I mean, it's not that dissimilar to what Mercedes are going to do and to what McLaren are going to do. It may not be a brand new car, but it is a substantial upgrade package that they've been working on in the background behind closed doors for some time. And at some point, they will have to bring that and show it to the public, put it on display and roll it out to the world where everybody will be there to judge it. And of course, you hope it's going to bring improvements. Behind closed doors, though, back at base, when you're a Formula One team and you're developing these new components, upgrades, or whether it's a whole new car or a new concept. When you're working on those solutions, you are continuously running simulations around those. You're trying to learn as much as you can. You're fine-tuning and tweaking the design, perhaps the manufacturing process or techniques, some of the materials that are involved in those. You're constantly looking at those behind the scenes trying to figure out what the best iteration is for the time you eventually have to put it out there into the world. All the time you're learning, you're hopefully improving that component or that car. And so from a Formula One team's perspective, you want as much of that learning time as possible. Because what you really want is when you do finally show the world, and maybe the world knows this upgrade or this new car's coming, That's quite a common thing too. I mean, look at us now. We know at this early stage of the 2023 Formula One season that we know McLaren are bringing a substantial upgrade. We know that Mercedes are also looking at completely changing the concept of their car at some point later on this season. So these things are out there. People have an expectation and they have a moment where they know this product, this component or this car is going to be put onto the world stage and therefore it's going to be judged by the world's media, by the fans, by other teams, and of course, from your own team's perspective, you desperately hope it's going to bring the performance upgrade that you so desperately need, which is why, of course, you went down this development path in the first place. 
So when you're back at base, working away on these things, constantly going back, trying to find uh, iterational improvements to make it better and better, more time that you have to do that, the better in theory it's gonna be. The more time you have to develop and run further simulations and test it in the virtual world, put your car in the wind tunnel, the more of those opportunities you have, the more chance you have to continually trying to find little tiny minute upgrades or performance tweaks that might improve the package. But at some point, of course, you have to send it out into the world. You have to put it on display and you have to take it to a Grand Prix. There's always this dilemma from a Formula One team's perspective about when do you do that? Of course, when you do introduce it, you want it to be the best that it can be. You want to introduce that new car or new component with its maximum impact as possible. And for you, that must mean having as much time as possible behind closed doors to continually evolve it and iterate it and hopefully make it better. That's the natural dilemma that all Formula One teams have. When do we stop developing? When do we stop preparing it, practicing with it, figuring it out, learning about it? And when do we just launch it out there and see what we've got? Now, if you think you've got a performance improvement with that part, of course you wanna get it onto the car, but you still want to bring it with the biggest possible impact. Formula One today is so limited in its testing opportunities. You're limited in how much wind tunnel time you have, how much CFD time you have, the virtual computer simulation software. So there is a limited amount of opportunity to continue working on it, but you wanna maximize all of that. So when it finally comes to that moment and all stuff is, everything that you've done, all the preparation is done as much as you think you can do, as best you can with the time frame that you have, you've then got to offer it up there and take it to a Grand Prix, at which point it's on display for the world to see. And as I said earlier, it will be judged. Now, the reason that what I've just described there, this dilemma that, dilemma that Formula One teams continuously have, reason that is important, the reason it came up in conversation this week was the idea bet between or behind continually preparing and practicing and fine tuning and, and honing your product compared to just launching it out there and getting on with it and putting it into what we call in, in business, but also in Formula One, what we call a real world feedback loop. When we put this component onto a race car or we launch this race car onto the real world racetrack and we put it in a real world event, whether that's testing, whether it's a practice session over those Friday sessions of a Grand Prix, we get the opportunity to put it up against other cars in the real world. We get to run it, not in the virtual world, not in a wind tunnel, but on a genuine racetrack, on genuine Pirelli Formula One tires with the engine and the wind speed and the downforce levels, the environmental conditions that happen to be there on that day that are affecting every other team. We get to judge our performance via the stopwatch plus all of our other data directly up against our main rivals and our components. But most importantly of all, we get to put it into that environment where we get immediate and direct feedback, both from a racing driver who sat in the seat for the very first time experiencing what performance or otherwise these components have brought to their car. You get the real world data coming immediately from the car back into the garage, which is then analyzed in the most 
forensic of ways, of course, you get these debrief sessions and then you get the opportunity to send the car back out onto track having made a couple of tweaks. These are the kind of things you cannot practice when you're back at base. You cannot tweak those things in the same way in the virtual world as you can once you've put it onto a real world racetrack. And so the dilemma really is how much of this behind the scenes preparation, how perfect can you be behind closed doors in this virtual world? How much practice and preparation do you need to put in versus just launching the car, whatever you've got when it's ready and putting it into the real world feedback loop? By which I mean when it goes into that feedback loop, the learning or the rate of learning can often be way faster or higher than it is behind closed doors. The dilemma is you're doing that in public. So whatever that car looks like, whatever its performance looks like, even though you're learning, it could be that it's a flop. It could be that if you'd chosen to keep it behind closed doors, to get more learning, more development done, more preparation done for another month, you might have made some iterative improvements to your car inside your factory. They might have been small, incremental, and of course, all in this virtual world, which may or may not perfectly link up with what you find when you do put it on the racetrack. Or you sort of throw caution to the wind and you put that car out there into the world for the world to see, for the world to judge, even though you may have talked about it coming, this upgrade package that you so desperately need, don't worry guys, there is performance coming, gonna see it around this type of race, at this racetrack, we'll be bringing it to the circuit. Everyone's expecting it, they have expectations upon it. And yet you don't know if it's ready or not. But by just putting it into that environment, the learning rate is going to be far higher. And sometimes there is a very clear argument that that can be the right way to go. And that was the conversation that I got into this week. And I wasn't talking about components on a Formula One car. I was talking about businesses. And this is where I hope you find these lessons that I can transfer over from Formula One to our real world, because it's actually not just about business. The same thing applies to our personal lives. And I'll let you draw those comparisons and conclusions. But the conversation I had was with somebody who is desperate to start a new business. It's a startup they've been talking about for quite some time. They've been figuring it out at home. It's just one person on their own at this point, but they've got a good idea. And yet for months and months and months, they've been constantly tweaking this idea on notepads, on little computer spreadsheets, figuring out the best way to go about it in their mind. They've been working out strategies and business plans and looking at potential problems and pitfalls. They've been trying to figure out a numbers uh, portfolio, a numbers um, spreadsheet so they can go to potential investors. They've been looking at how they can get this product or project rather off the ground in the most perfect way because the fear that they had was they only get one shot at launching the business. And of course, that is absolutely true. But the worry was that this idea of launching this brand new startup business should only happen when the business is almost perfect. When the idea has been formulated to perfection, all the wrinkles have been ironed out and figured out in advance. And of course, 
as we talked about in last week's podcast, if you remember, this idea of perfection, something that I see as something that is wholly imperfect in itself. I believe, as I talked about last week, there is no such thing as perfection. Perfection is something we're striving towards. It's a journey towards perfection that we never actually get to the end of. Perfection is not something you finally tick the box with and can then stop. And if you apply that to this business, and this is what we had the conversation around, perhaps there's a good argument. And in fact, not even perhaps, there is definitely an argument. And I see way too many potential entrepreneurs holding back, waiting for the perfect time to launch their business, to launch their idea, to approach somebody with their idea, waiting until they think they've got the perfect idea, the perfect strategy, and everything's in place. And of course, there is no moment like that. And actually, it's far better sometimes to just launch it the moment you get the opportunity, to just go for it with the knowledge that it may well fail. Just like the components on this Formula One car that you can keep forever tweaking and iterating and perfecting. Or you can put it into the real world, put it on your race car, learn about it way more quickly, even if that learning comes as a result of the component actually failing or flopping, not bringing the performance you hoped it would. The same same philosophy can be the same thing for a business. And this was the conversation I had. By launching the idea, by just going for it, that real world feedback loop is going to happen way, way quicker. And even if it means the idea is a failure for some reason or another, what you're going to get is the feedback from that much more quickly than if you try and predict all of these various outcomes in a virtual setting, in a theoretical world, scribbling on the back of a notepad, trying to theorize about what might happen if you were to launch now. You may or may not come up with the right answers, but if you just launched it, you'll get that feedback. It'll be instant, it'll be immediate, and it may well be brutal, but it'll be nothing but helpful. Failures are one of these things that nobody wants to go through, but the reality is we all have to. And whether that's failing a component on a Formula One car, whether it under delivers when it comes to performance, what you get from that is real world feedback immediately, which then gives you the opportunity to go and tweak it, to improve it, to redevelop it if that's the case, or fine tune it. But what it gets you is one step closer to this inadvertent comma, inadverted commas, perfect solution. It gets you one step closer to that idea that you're striving for, perfection. And of course, as I said earlier, you may never get to perfection, but you'll get one step closer to the ideal solution for you by just putting it out there and testing. And that is exactly the conversation that's been happening this week around Formula One teams and around this Formula One weekend going from three days down to two. What Formula One teams don't want to lose in the most part is the idea or the opportunity to get that real world feedback by putting cars on a racetrack and pounding round and round, doing lap after lap. Because even if they don't get the results or the numbers they ideally want, they're getting numbers, they're getting data. And from that data comes a huge amount of learning. And I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this analogy to Formula One and business and life is you can draw whatever comparisons you want. But if you're holding on to an idea, if you're holding on to something that you desperately want to try, 
whether that's approaching somebody as a potential romantic partner, whether it's a business opportunity that you've thought about going for, but are just holding back because you don't quite feel ready. Whatever it might be, that moment when you feel 100% ready, if it's a big moment, if it's a big project, if it's a big opportunity, you're highly likely to never ever feel 100% ready, even if you are. When I went into my first big speech, talking on stage in front of thousands of people, I felt in the moment backstage when they were announcing my name, I felt underprepared. There's no way I felt ready. But a week before that, when I've been doing my preparation at home and practicing and figuring out what I should and shouldn't say, I felt ready in that moment or as ready as I could be, but there was always something holding me back. I was never super confident, but I knew I'd done the preparation. And yet when it came to launching that out there, putting it out in front of the world, of course, I was terrified. I was petrified. And actually, I bombed on stage. My first one or two speeches were terrible. I was shaking. I felt underconfident and that came across. I was looking down. I had notes in my hand, but I could barely read them because my hand was shaking so much. It was disastrous. And I've got video footage of some of my early talks. And I look at them now and I find it almost cringeworthy. But what those early talks did for me was teach me a huge amount about how to be better. Today, if I look at video footage of me speaking on stage, it couldn't be more different. It's the opposite. Instead of being shy and closed up in myself, looking down at the floor, being monotone in my voice and and quiet, today I bounce on stage, so excited, so happy to be there. I'm projecting my voice. I've got all sorts of different intonation. My body language is completely different because I love it and I have grown to learn through just doing. And that's the point. The learning process through doing is way quicker than the learning process through theorizing. Now, I fully appreciate that some elements of life and business and Formula One, for that matter, just simply do require practice. If I went back to my pit stop days, there's no way you could say you just got to throw your guys out there put them in a pit stop environment, in the real world, in a Grand Prix, and hope they get on with it. If it fails, they'll learn from it. There isn't that time. You can't go through these big failures with just having people learn on the job like that. Of course, there are elements of what we went through as as a pit stop crew that were very difficult to prepare for in the virtual world or behind the scenes. The idea of dealing with pressure to the level that you face when you do a real world pit stop There's no other scenario that can genuinely prepare you for that. And I have seen people get thrown into that situation and quite literally buckle under that pressure. When I did my very first pit stop, which I've talked about many times, I nearly buckled myself. I was shaking like a leaf. I got away with it. It went okay. But it was kind of by accident. It certainly wasn't because I was well enough prepared to handle the pressure. I mean, today we do prepare those pit stop crews in a much more scientific way, in a much more structured manner. And we do do these thousands and thousands of pit stops because it's mission critical. If we get that wrong in a race situation, it can genuinely destroy a race. So we have to be prepared. But also we're not trying to learn the same things in those pit stops as we are when we bring some development component to the race car. 
If we bring something new to a car and run it on a Friday in practice sessions, we are learning with every single lap. We're learning every time the driver gets behind the wheel, every time an engineer gets to sift through data that's been harvested through that component or having that component on the car, we're learning. And we're in this environment which doesn't matter too much. It's the practice sessions. And so when it comes to the Grand Prix, we've done our learning. We can be as prepared as we want to be or as prepared as we can. And then we go into the competitive environment of qualifying in the race as prepared as we can be. And for a Formula One team, that's the holy grail. So this idea of taking away practice sessions, potentially, over a Grand Prix weekend, of course, in some elements of some Formula One teams, there's a worry about that. Are we going to go into the competitive element of that Formula One weekend underprepared? We don't want to be learning things in qualifying in the race when it matters the same way we don't want to do that with pit stops. We want the learning to be done ahead of that in the practice sessions that are not mission critical, that don't matter so much. We want that real world feedback loop, but we want it in a moment in the Grand Prix weekend that's not going to adversely affect our Grand Prix weekend hugely if it goes wrong. And there is a big concern in Formula One teams that that could be the case. Now, that whole conversation is really about this idea of whether or not practice is always something that we need to the extent that we think we do. And I would argue in almost every case, I don't think it is. I think, of course, preparation's crucial. And one of the things that I've come out of my Formula One team days learning and instilling in me and the people around me is that preparation is everything. We need to be as prepared as we can be for whatever it is we're going into. There are many things we can do, and I've talked about many of them on this podcast. There are many things we can do to be prepared. And we should, when we have that opportunity, be as prepared as we can be with the circumstances that we have around us. But the flip side of that is do not let preparation get in the way of fast learning. Don't let this constant striving for perfection hold you back from just going for it. You may find that you'll never do something if you're always waiting for the perfect moment to get on with it. That perfect moment may never arrive. So sometimes it's better to just get out there, put it out there in the world, throw out this product, this service, this project, whatever it is you've been working on, throw it into the real world feedback loop and get the rapid learning that comes from that. And have a think about that. I know from writing books and working on projects, I mean, writing a book is a great example. Every time when you're writing a book and you've got this big draft of hundreds of thousands of words sometimes, you can continuously read back through it over time. You can read back through a chapter and every single time you read a chapter or you read a section of that book, there'll be something you want to tweak or change, hopefully just improve by a tiny amount, add into or take away from. Rarely, when I was writing the draft of my first book, did I ever get through a chapter or a section and go, yeah, that's perfect. I always found something. It might have been a punctuation mark, or it might have been an extra word, or a word I took out. It might have been a sentence that I thought, oh, this could add to it. There was always something. And every time I look back over it, I would add or take away or modify something. And that's actually quite a common place to be. 
When you're looking at dissertations, I'm sure students out there will know the feeling. Getting to the point where you're actually happy to submit your dissertation is a really difficult point to get to. Because every time you read it, you think there's something that can be tweaked or improved. At some point, you've just got to submit it because what you're going to get is feedback. And I know that that point of feedback may be at that point too late to do anything about in in the context of your dissertation, but not in the context of life, not in the context of that five year period you're in or 10 year period, because getting the feedback is also that real world feedback loop where eventually you've been working on something what seems like forever and you put it out there. You submit it, you hand it in, in the hope that somebody is gonna judge it for you and give you some genuine feedback upon it. That feedback is valuable and it's not something that you can get in the same way when you're just working and working and working on it on your own. So that's the conversation I had this week weighing up the pros and cons of practice and preparation versus throwing yourself into something to learn on the job, even if it fails. As we all know, some of the biggest learnings in life come from the things that don't go well. It's the failures. But if you never launch it out there, if you never try it, if you never put yourself on the line, if you're waiting for that moment of perfection to come along one day, you may never go out there and have the failure and therefore get the learning from it. And as a result of those things, you may never actually get closer to that moment of perfection that you're striving for. So sometimes just getting on with it is the best way to learn. And I'm not going to make any judgment here about whether or not there is a, it's a good idea or not to get rid of the Friday practice sessions in Formula One. That's not the point of the conversation. The point of the conversation is this dilemma, this weighing up the pros and cons of spending your time behind closed doors working on something versus throwing it out to the world and let the world judge it and get the feedback that might help you get closer to the success that you're after. Have a think about that in your own lives. Have a think about the projects you've got going on, both personal and professional. Are you holding on to something and have you been holding on to something for maybe a little bit too long? Are you procrastinating because you're looking for perfection? Is it maybe better to just get on with it? Even if you don't get the perfect results at this stage, the feedback you get might just get you closer to them in the future. Right, let's move things on. And I wanna move it on just quickly. I wanna say thank you again. I wanna just take a moment because this is the last in this particular season, season six, before we have a very short break. I'm gonna be away traveling for a couple of weeks. So there will be a, a bit of a break before we then go again. And this is a big thing for me. This is a big part of my life and my career. I do lots of things in my world today, uh, lots of different roles, different jobs, different things that I have to spend my time upon. This is one of my favorites. This one pays me nothing. It brings me in zero money. It takes quite a lot of my time. It takes a huge amount of my thought, but I love doing it. And I know that many of you guys love it too, because you let me know. And I really appreciate that. And I want that to continue. So please do keep giving me the feedback. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I put this little piece of content 
out into the world and I need you guys to give me that real world feedback loop on whether you're enjoying it, what you take from it, whether it helps you in your life in some way. I want to know if you want something different, what you'd like from it in the future, all of those things. I want to hear them, good or bad. Please believe me, I want the bad feedback as well as the good and I want you to be honest with that. But I also want to say a huge thank you for the time that it takes for you guys to be part of this project, because I know that it does. It takes me my time to make it, but I know that this is long form content and I appreciate all of you taking the time to, to listen. So thank you for that. And the one thing I ask in return, maybe two things, because I've already asked your feedback. The second thing is just to engage with the podcast in some way. Follow, like, subscribe, give me a rating and a review, wherever it is you listen to the podcast or watching them on YouTube. Any of those things I really appreciate. And please tell your friends and try and spread the word. Uh, I will be back for season seven and it won't be very long, but I would love to know what you'd like from it in advance. So hit me up with all of that, please. Right, for the final part of today's podcast, I actually want to take a slightly different twist on the same subject. This idea of this uh, quote that came from Stefano Domenicali about losing the Friday practice sessions, the reason I want to talk about it in this part is on a different take on it, is the idea of how people have reacted to it. And I'm talking mostly online, but on the mainstream media as well. People have reacted in some quite vociferous ways. And I'm talking about coming from lots of different camps. I touched on it earlier on, but the reason that it was highlighted to me was I see, I've seen some very, I don't know, let's say brutal, forceful opinions coming through on social media and online around this little conversation that's built from the quote from Stefano. Now, there's nothing wrong with having big conversations where people have opinions and they bat those opinions off each other and they discuss them and they talk about the pros and cons of each. What I have had an issue with this week is I've seen so many of those opinions being so forceful to the point where somebody thinks they're right and as a result of that, they think that everyone else must be wrong. And what I wanted to explore was this idea of looking at whatever the challenge, whatever the uh, incident or idea, rule, quote, story, whatever it might be, looking at it from different frames of reference. Now, we talk about empathy a lot on this podcast. Empathy is the ability to look at something, I guess, from someone else's perspective. It's to feel and understand what someone else feels through their frames of reference. And it's frames of reference that I really want to focus on here. It's like putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Now, I talked about a number of the perspectives on this quote, this idea of losing the practice sessions earlier. If you're a Formula One team, you're going to have one perspective and there's perhaps a number of different perspectives. Fans might have a particular perspective. Uh, promoters might have a, a perspective. Fans that go to the circuit might have a completely different take on these things. Sponsors, TV companies, everyone's going to have a different idea on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. And once again, I'm not going to get into whether it's good or bad because there is no right or wrong answer here. There isn't just a definitive, this is a good decision or a good idea or a bad idea. It doesn't work like that. And that's my very point. The frame of reference with, with which you look at anything can completely change what you see when you look at it. Now, to explain that further, what I mean is, 
let's say you're into art, you go to an art gallery and you're looking at a, an oil painting. Now, anyone who appreciates art knows that if you look at a particular painting, particular image, that image can change for you depending on what sort of frame it's in, what sort of gallery it's in, whether it has a frame or not, what kind of setting it is you're looking at it, whether you're looking at it on an easel in somebody's workshop, it might appear very different to if it's on the wall in a well-lit gallery amongst other famous big pieces of art. The frame of reference is what's around it and what you're looking at it through. Now, somebody might look at a piece of art through their frame of reference in a particular setting, as I said, an art gallery where it's just sitting on an easel with no frame, and they might see something that's a little bit rough and ready around the edges. Whereas somebody else might look at the same picture with nothing else done to it, but now in a highly polished, big, glamorous frame in a huge, great big wall and an art gallery where other distinctive and important works of art surround it. And it might appear very different. It might say something very different to the people looking at it in those two different situations. It's exactly the same piece of art, but the frame of reference is different. And if you take something more modern, if you take something like this idea of Formula One practice sessions disappearing, which may not be the biggest, most important news article in the world, but because it's generated so much opinion, I started to think about the frames of reference that all those opinions are, are, are looking through before they're made. As I said, a race promoter will be looking at that potentially with a frame of reference that it might limit their revenue potential over a Grand Prix weekend because they literally can't bring fans to the circuit on a Friday anymore, which might have been hundreds of thousands of fans, and that brings in ticket money, merchandising sales, whatever else. There's a huge potential financial hit to the race promoters in not having any cars running on circuit on a Friday. If you're a race mechanic in a Formula One team, for example, the same rule change, if it were to happen, could be looked at completely differently. Because if you're a race mechanic, you might start to suddenly see, well, okay, my race weekends are now gone down from three days of track action to two. That means my trip for the week might go down from six days to five days. That's gonna mean over 23 races, another 23 days at home with my family over the course of the year. That's huge, that could be really quite significant. So those kind of different frames of reference look at exactly the same scenario in very different ways. A race mechanic might be really happy that we're gonna lose Friday practice session. It's often the hardest, most brutal, the longest day for team members in that garage, where it's all just hard grafting work to get the car in the best place possible. So they might be quite happy if Fridays disappear. The race promoter is gonna be devastated because he loses potential revenue coming in off the back of what they can generate over a Grand Prix weekend. Two very different frames of reference around exactly the same scenario in which both seem completely different. And how often does this happen in life? How often do we see these arguments brewing in social, on social media where someone's got a really angry opinion about something and someone else might have the opposite opinion but convince themselves they are 100% right? 
where both parties are absolutely convinced they're right, and yet they have opposing views on something. And they get so angry about what the other person is doing or saying that it can often turn nasty. What about if both of those views were right? You go back to the race promoter's view versus the race mechanic's view, two opposing views, they could both be right. There is no right or wrong, but different opinions on the same subject through different frames of reference. Empathy is the ability to understand the frame of reference that someone else is looking at something through, as opposed to your frame of reference, which might be completely different. We've all had the same kind of thing at home, I'm sure. We've all had arguments with romantic partners or friends. We've had it with our children, if we're parents, where we get angry because someone else has either disagreed with us or has expressed an opinion that doesn't match ours. Particularly in today's world, we have grown into a society that only really enjoys having other people have the same opinion as us. And what's happened and what's most disturbing about all of this is that it's become a binary thing. These opinions have become binary and social media is a, 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 an echo chamber for really just emphasising this and for shouting it even louder to the world. Today, it's very difficult to have a conversation, particularly on social media, with someone who has an opposing view where that conversation is rational, it's calm, it's interesting, it explores both ideas, it takes on both sides' opinions and it discusses them and may never reach a conclusion other than both parties gaining an understanding of what the other thinks. That's almost never happens now in the social media world because it's become binary. If my opinion is different to yours, one of us must be right and one of us must be wrong. Yet it doesn't have to be that way. In the same way, as we're talking about the example of the Friday practice sessions in Formula One, there's so many opinions and they might all be right. They might all have merit. Some of them might be wrong, but there might be many of them that are wrong, but they're all justified in some way or another. The person holding that view has a justification for it. Now, you may not agree with that justification. You may not agree with the opinion of the other person. You might not be able to understand their frame of reference because yours is the one that's dominating your world. But that's what empathy is. And that's what disturbed me a little bit this week was seeing such angry opinions being formed. First of all, based on nothing more than a quote, there isn't even a decision on this yet. It was simply a quote, often taken out of context in many of these articles, which had generated angry opinions from so many different parties, all coming at it from different angles, all thinking their opinion was correct, and therefore other opinions on the same subject must be wrong. Because we have this binary world where opinions can't be intermixed with each other. They can't both be sharing an opinion which differs from each other because how can you not have this one right situation and therefore one wrong situation? So I thought it was interesting that Formula One had generated such a, a difficult or a, uh, a sort of vociferous conversation, first of all, as I said, around something that hasn't even happened yet, but also around the idea that so many people are, of course, going to see this differently. If you're a TV company, you want eyeballs. You want the opportunity to bring eyeballs onto your network on a Friday. 
If practice sessions go, there's a day where there's no Formula One on telly to the same extent. If you've paid a billion dollars for your TV rights, there's more revenue potentially lost there. It's the same thing. Merchandising stands who sell merch and hats and, and t-shirts at the racetrack, Friday's one of their best days for doing that because people are milling around the circuit all day long, milling around the stands that are selling all of these things. If they lose Fridays, again, more potential revenue loss. Local hotels around each of these racetracks, exactly the same thing. Think about it through their frame of reference. They are all of these teams that are locking out hotels over the course of a week. It's one less day they'll be required to be there. But think of the families that are left at home for the thousands of people that travel the world with Formula One who have to say goodbye to their dads, their mums, their daughters, their sons, their brothers, sisters, partners. All of these people who get waved goodbye at the start of the year and then travel the globe putting on this show that we all love to watch. I know what that feels like. I've been there. I know how hard it is to leave these people behind. If you could suddenly claw back 23, 24 days a year where you don't have to be abroad, that's huge for both the people traveling, but also the people left behind. Two more completely different frames of reference. And then, of course, you've got the engineering frame of reference, which we talked about earlier, where you lose the opportunity to fine tune and prepare your car to put it in the best place possible for when it comes to the big moments on Saturday. Another frame of reference around exactly the same subject, all of which have absolute value and merit, and all of which can coexist with each other. The decision when it comes to doing it, if it comes to doing it or not, when it comes to making that decision, all of those frames of reference have to be taken into consideration. It's about taking in the perspectives of all the people who are affected. It may be, in fact, it definitely won't be the case that you'll be able to please and keep all of them happy. Of course you won't. That's the very nature of making a decision that's not going to keep, not going to please every party. But if you can make that decision, having at least considered the frames of reference that other people are coming at it through, you'll have a much better opportunity to make a decision that's less biased, that's more transparent, that's more open, and probably that ends up suiting more people than you otherwise would be able to help, that you otherwise would be able to satisfy had you not taken into consideration the other frames of reference that other people have empathy. So I encourage you all this week to try and think about that. When you're in your next argument with somebody, think about the frame of reference on the other side of that argument. When someone cuts you up, in inverted commas, on the road, have a think about what it might have looked like from their perspective. Could you have been travelling a little bit too fast? Did somebody cut them up they were having to avoid? When your child comes to you and expresses an opinion that might be wholly different to yours, think about it from their perspective. If they're just a little kid, they're going to look at everything completely different to you. And if you can be highly skilled in the talent of empathy, and I'm calling it a talent very deliberately, if you can get yourself to a place where you have the ability to put yourself in the shoes of the other person when you're having a discussion or an argument that discussion or argument is far more likely to reach a satisfactory conclusion. And even if you're never going to agree, 
at least you've given that person the respect and the time of trying to see and understand their perspective. Look through their frame of reference before you draw any conclusions. That's my biggest piece of advice. I think the whole world could benefit from that piece of advice. It doesn't necessarily come from Formula One, but it was sparked through a discussion around Formula One this week. It was brought to my attention in the most brutal of ways, as social media often does. Think about the other frames of reference surrounding the situations and the scenarios and the incidents that you come up with over the course of the next week and do your very best to put yourself in someone else's perspective before jumping to any conclusions. Thank you so, so much, guys. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate, as I said, how much I appreciate every single one of you being here this week and being here throughout season six, by the way, which I hope you've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed this particular one. I thought we've covered some really interesting topics and subjects, but all the way through, I know many of you have listened to every single one. That's 60 episodes now. Many of you have listened to them all and you let me know that. I know you wait on a Monday for the new one to drop. I really appreciate that. If you haven't yet checked out the Pit Lane Life Lessons YouTube channel, I set up a bespoke YouTube channel for this particular series where I'm putting all of the videos of these episodes. So if you prefer to, to watch the podcasts, you can do it there. Uh, if you want to listen, you know where to listen. All the links are in the description below. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to my Formula One app. I've created an app with some two colleagues of mine. It's called Seedstream. And I, again, I know many of you are already taking part in this, but there's a predictions league in there, which I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying it because I'm actually top of the league right now. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds like it's a fix, but I had a really good week last week. But I'd love you to get involved. I'd love you to give it a try. Seedstream, that's S-E-E-D-S-T-R-E-A-M. Seedstream, again, the link is all in the description below. Uh, all your content, all your Formula One news and content is all there. So it's really useful and really handy. But it also has this predictions deed going on as well, which is a lot of fun. Um, now, for season seven, as I said, there is going to be a short break, uh, just a couple of weeks, because I'm traveling over the course of the next couple of weeks in different, uh, at different times. It's going to make it difficult anyway. But I would also love your feedback on the idea that I've had of bringing guests onto this podcast. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. It's a logistical nightmare for me. Uh, makes it a whole load harder for me to achieve. But if it's something you're really interested in, I definitely want to explore it. The reason it makes it harder is because with it just being me, I can record these anytime. Right now it is what, nine o'clock on Sunday night. Uh, you will get this podcast from 6am tomorrow, Monday morning. So I can do this any time of day or night whenever I happen to get a gap. Of course, if I'm bringing guests on, there's a whole load more challenges around working out logistics, timing, scheduling, both my schedule plus the guests getting us together or doing it via Zoom, whatever it ends up being, but it's not unachievable. And if, you def if you'd love to have that, then I would love to explore the possibilities of doing it. Whether I do it for season seven or put it uh, in the in sort of preparation and uh, <laughs> I just realised the irony of what I just said there. If I prepare it in the background, make it perfect and then launch it for, for season eight, uh, I don't know yet. But because there's a, a whole load of stuff to figure out, if we're going to go down that route, I'd love your feedback on whether it's something that you would like. And if it is, of course, I want to know who you would like on the podcast. My initial ideas are I would like to get, of course, I'd love to get the drivers, but that's maybe something further down the line. But actually, 
I've learned so much from Formula One from being behind the scenes. I'd love to speak to other people from behind the scenes too. Influential people, but also people you've never heard of or met before. Some of those people are some of the most interesting and have some of the most important stories, like I have from many years in Formula One. So my idea is to get some of those onto the podcast if we go down that route, plus some of the more well-known names and faces that you might be familiar with. But of course, I want your feedback. I want the real world feedback loop to kick in. Let me know who you'd like to listen to, who you want to hear from and what you'd like to hear from them. That would be wonderful. Uh, In the meantime, I would love your feedback to continue just on the podcast in general. I want to know whether it's helping you, how it's helping you, whether you're sharing it with other people. If you share it on social media, please tag me in it. I would really appreciate that. And I try and share as many of those on my own social channels as well. So if you tag me in them, I can share them. And please, please, reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. I know I say this every week. It isn't happening. For some reason, most of you listen on Apple. Please just take a moment. I'm not saying it just for fun. I'm saying it because it makes a genuine difference. If you can spare a minute to just write a line of review, it literally, you could do the whole process in 30 seconds. You could. So please, if you can bear to do that for me, a five-star rating if you've enjoyed it and a very short review, well, I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much, guys. Have a wonderful next couple of weeks. Um, There's 60 episodes. You can go back and listen over if you haven't checked them all out yet. So do that. And in a couple of weeks time, I promise you, we will be back. Keep an eye on my social channels. I'll let you know exactly when it's back. As I said, give me that feedback in the meantime. And whatever it is you do over the next couple of weeks, remember this. Do the right things. Do the things right.